Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. So three guys were attending the funeral of a friend during the visitation. They were standing by his casket, reminiscing about their friendship. One of the guys spoke up and said, hey, what do you, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral when they walk by your casket? After a few seconds of awkward silence, one guy spoke up and said, when people see me lying in my casket, I want them to say how I was a family man and how committed I was and how much I loved my wife and kids and grandkids. A few seconds later, another guy said, when people see me lying in my casket, I want them to say how helpful and generous I was. Third guy who hadn't spoken yet paused for a moment. Then he said, you know, when people are standing by my casket looking at me, I want them to say, hey, I think he moved. (laughs) If you're one of those folks who are afraid of dying, which according to statistics, that's about one out of every three of you, I've got some good news for you. The truth is you don't really die. You don't die. The Bible tells us that your physical bodies will cease to exist, but you, the person who you are, never ceases to exist. You, me, every single one of us sitting in here this morning, those watching on eCampus online, we live forever somewhere. Here's how the Apostle Paul explained it in 2 Corinthians 5.1. He said, for we know that when this earthly tent, now here Paul's using a metaphor, that tent's referring to our body, When this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Next couple of verses. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anyone ever grow weary? Yeah. Just get tired of this life at times. We grow grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. He continues, verse 4. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Skip down to verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Verse 8, yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. See that? Away from these earthly bodies is to be home with the Lord. Another translation says that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then this next verse is huge, because this is where Paul tells us why this even matters. Why we exist in the first place. What's this life all about anyway? What's our assignment while we're living in these tents, these earthly bodies, Paul? He tells us in verse 9. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, here it is. Here's our assignment while we're living here on earth. Our goal is to make as much money as we can. Does your Bible not say that? Our goal is to get 200 likes on our Facebook post. 
Our goal is to buy a nice house and some acreage and raise some chickens and goats. Our goal is to drive a Tesla. Tell us, Paul, what is our goal? Our goal is to please him or live for him. That's our goal. Why? Tells us in the next verse, verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. In other words, our goal is to do stuff that lasts eternally. So we need to remember whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Christ. So why are we talking about death? I mean, it's not exactly a fun subject. I was talking to my sister on the phone yesterday. We were talking about something else. And then at the very end, I said, because I know she watches online. Hi, Val. But uh, I told her, I, so I just kind of, my last statement was, one minute after you die. She's like, what? I said, that's our new series. One minute after you die. And she's like, oh, that sounds like a fun series. <laughs> why are we even talking about this? I mean, it's not exactly a fun subject. I'll tell you why, because, and this is our big idea for this morning's message. What you believe about eternity determines how you will live today. See, if you believe that you're an accident or the product of some random environmental act where billions of years ago, a lightning bolt struck some pool of water and ignited some protoplasm and some life form developed and then eventually grew some legs and eventually crawled out of the pool of water. And over millions of years, that life form began to evolve until voila, here we are. If that's your view of life, that there's no creator God and there's no eternity or no, after, no afterlife, then you're going to live a selfish life, a life driven for the pleasures of this time. And everything's going to be about here and now. However, if you believe that you're created by a God who has a plan and purpose for you and that you're going to live somewhere eternally, that will also impact how you live here and now. So we all live forever. Our, our tent, our physical body will cease to exist at some point, but our soul continues to live. And according to the Bible, there are only two, option, uh, two options for our soul's eternal destination, heaven or hell. And we'll talk more about those over the next two weeks, the Lord willing. But to sort of lay the foundation for this series this morning, we're going to talk about three things that happen immediately after this life is done. And the first one we've already talked about. Our physical body ceases to exist, Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You know, I did some research on this in my study this past week, and I made a fascinating discovery. Maybe you already knew this. But, you know, according to scientific research, one out of one people die. <laughs> did you know that? I mean, I thought that was pretty amazing. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's pray and go home, right? That we're going to die is not debatable. How we're going to die, that's a different story. Statistically, here are some of the odds for how you'll die if you live in the U.S. Heart disease is one out of a six chance. Cancer, one in seven chances. Fall, for all you clumsy people, one in 106 chance that you'll die from a fall. Choking on food. One in 2,535. So mama was right. Chew your food before you swallow. 
Dog attack, one out of 86,700. And then since July 4th coming up, fireworks deaths, one in 340,700 for all you kids and rednecks out there. The point being, you're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die someday. We come from dust and we're going back to dust. We're all nothing but dust. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I was talking with kids about creation and how we're all created from the dirt and the ground. And, and I, I, I made the comment at the end. I said, basically, we're nothing but dust. The following Sunday, one of the kids' parents came up to me and said, my son told me Pastor Curtis said I was butt dust. <laughs> yeah, you got to love the humor of middle schoolers and 65-year-old pastors, right? The Bible tells us that we're all destined, appointed, have a date with death. And then after we die, we face judgment. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. So after we die, our physical bodies will cease to exist. The Bible says it. The second thing that happens is our soul separates from our physical body. Our physical body dies, but our soul continues to live. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Jesus says, don't fear people, but live in reverence, live in a healthy fear, respect for God, because people can only destroy your tent, your body. God is the one who controls what happens to your soul, that part of you that lives forever. When your body ceases to exist, your soul continues to live. In other words, at your funeral one day, and we're all going to have a funeral unless the Lord returns first, we're all going to have a date with Benji over there at Wilson and Son Funeral Home. And then at the end of the funeral, in graveside service, when everyone's back at the church fellowship hall, eating Price Chopper fried chicken, Marie Raby's cheesy potato casserole, Sarah Clams, blackberry cobbler, everyone's talking, aren't you getting hungry just listening to that? Everyone's talking about how great a person you were. Even after they, listen, even after they lower you into the ground, you will never be more alive than you are right then. Your soul still lives even though your body ceases to exist. Jesus illustrated this truth in John's gospel when he was talking to Martha, who's incredibly upset because Lazarus, her brother, who was Jesus' close friend, right? He died. He had been dead for four days. And I love what the King James Version says about his body. Jesus asked Martha after he finally arrives at Bethany, he says, well, take me to Lazarus. And, and Martha's reluctant to do that. She says, hey, Jesus, it's been four days since they buried him. And she tells Jesus, and you got to love the King James here. It's so proper. It's so formal. It's so holy. Martha tells Jesus, but Lord, by now his body stinketh. <laughs> no, not stinks. Not stank. But stinketh. But listen to this statement by Jesus to Martha regarding death. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live forever. What happens to the soul of a follower after Jesus, of Jesus after the body dies? Well, the Bible isn't clear on all the details, but what we do know is to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We also know that when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals crucified on each side of him, and they were both obviously guilty of whatever crimes they had committed, which was why they were being crucified. And they both also needed forgiveness. One recognized his need and called on the grace of Jesus. And so he cried out in Luke 23, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
and by the grace of Jesus. Now watch this now, because at this point, even if he wanted to, even if the guy wanted to, there's nothing that this guy could have done to earn his salvation. He's hanging on a cross. There's nothing that he could do. Fortunately for him on that day, he happened to be crucified just a few feet away from the only one on this planet who could help him. And he seizes upon this opportunity, repents of his sins, and asks Jesus to remember him in the afterlife. And not by any works that that guilty man could have done, but Jesus, in his tremendous grace and mercy, answered him and said in verse 43, Luke 23, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. What happens one minute after we die? Well, we know, number one, our physical body dies. Number two, our soul continues to live and separate from our body. And then thirdly, we will all face judgment. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1.17, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. Temporary residence. Literal translation, this ain't your home, people. This is not your home. You're just passing through. This is just a, a short period of time in the eternal scheme of things. The Bible is very clear about the fact that we will be judged for how we live in this life. And the key to understanding the link between God's judgment and our life on this planet is found in two words, belief and behavior. Our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we spend eternity. And Jesus was very clear about the fact that not only are there different levels of punishment in hell, right? But there are also different levels of responsibility in heaven. But we'll talk more about that in the next two weeks. The point being, our behavior in this life matters. Whether, look, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and this is, this is what's so amazing, everyone's going to be judged, both believers and unbelievers, and this fact is recorded in both the Old and New Testaments. Ecclesiastes, Solomon 12, 14, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every, every, I looked that word up in the Hebrew, you know what it means? What does it mean, Mike? means every. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then Revelation 20, 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Now, that verse there in Revelation is referring to the lost, those who had not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and we know that they're going to be judged. But listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 17. He says, and if you call on him as father, okay, pause here for a second. Peter's addressing those who call God their father, right? Is that what it says there? So I think it's safe to assume that if someone calls God their father, they're probably saved, right? Not a trick question. All right. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with, and here's that word again, fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, the idea of just having a healthy reverence and respect for our eternal judge. And that phrase, time of your exile, is just referring to the time that we live out our lives on this planet until Jesus either takes us home or comes back for us. Even Jesus himself indicated that believers will be judged for their works. One day he was talking to his guys, the disciples, about the cost of following him and how they needed to deny themselves and take up, their, take up his cross, and then to try to help prepare them for what they were about to face. 
he pretty much just lays it out there. He says, look, if, if you have any plans at all of continuing to follow me, you're just going to have to understand what it's going to cost you. But it's interesting that in the context of this challenge to his disciples, he makes sure that they understand that they're going to be rewarded for the sacrifices, the choices and decisions they make in this life. And we know that from his comment in Matthew 24, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. John tells us the same thing in Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, some translations say reward, with me to repay each one for what he has done. So the Bible is very clear about the fact that we'll be judged according to how we live our life on this planet. But the Bible speaks of two different judgments. So let's take a minute to look at those. The first is called the great white throne judgment. And most scholars believe this is the unbeliever's judgment. Right? And the Bible seems to verify this in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Next verse. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, watch this, books, plural, were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Okay, so John tells us that the book Singular is referring to the book of life. He says that. Right after he says book, singular, he says it is the book of life, right? The, the, that book contains the names of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and who will enter into heaven. But the books, plural, is referring to people's works or deeds in this life. We know that from the last statement. The dead, that's all the dead, believers and unbelievers, were judged by what was written in the books, watch this now, according to what they had done. See, and, and most people don't realize this, but just like there are, are degrees of rewards in heaven, there's also going to be degrees of punishment in hell. Again, we'll talk about this when, when we talk about hell. The point being, God, God is a just God, and, and his justness, his fairness is evident in both his rewards of heaven and punishments of hell. Think about this. Let, let's say that there are, are two believers, all right? Uh, one who accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and they're on their way to heaven, but they only attend church occasionally when it's convenient for them, and they'll drop a $20 bill in the offering box occasionally, or, or maybe they'll make a, a donation online every now and then, but they're not a percentage giver. They're not a tither, right? They don't tithe according to the, the biblicals, the Bible's instructions. They're, they're not serving in any of the various ministries at the church, and they, they never seem to help when they do come to church, or if they do, it's very seldom, all right? Then there's another Christian who does attend church faithfully. They do tithe, and they, they even give over and above their tithe in special offerings, missions offerings, or, or campaigns. And they serve faithfully on one of our dream teams each week. Question, do you think God will reward both of those people equally? No. No, he won't. Then what, a, what about a non-believer? What about a, maybe an agnostic? You know, they're, they're not a bad person. In fact, they're faithful to their marriage. They're a good provider for their family. They might even give to a local charity every now and then, the Red Cross or United Way or some other benevolent organization. But, but they just don't believe in religion and never saw the need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That person, according to the Bible, is going to go to hell. 
But do you think that God will judge them the same as he would a serial rapist or murderer? Of course not. The point being, even those in hell are going to be rewarded for their deeds and the way that they lived their life on this planet. Why? Because we serve a just God, folks. Even his fairness, even his justice is seen in the punishment of hell. So does this mean that Christians just get off scot-free, Pastor? How's that fair? Because God paid for our sins by sending his son to die for us so we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences. And as far as fair, it really is fair. Here's why. Everyone has the opportunity to have their judgment paid for. Everyone. All they have to do is receive God's gift of Jesus Christ. See, the payment for our sins already been made. The check's already been written, as it were. But we have to endorse it. And we have to cash it. And we do that by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's continue. Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So this is the great white throne judgment. The other judgment is called judgment seat of Christ. This is the believer's judgment. Paul was talking to the Corinthian believers, and we read it earlier, but I want to read it again. These were followers of Christ, and this is what he said to them. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive what we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So just to clarify here, this isn't referring to the judgment for our sins, what Paul mentions there. That, that was already covered at the cross, all right? This is a completely different judgment, a judgment for how we lived in this life, or the way that Paul puts it, what we have done in this earthly tent, this earthly body. And that phrase, whether good or evil, means we'll either receive a reward or lose a reward, depending on the situation. Receive a reward for the good we've done or lose out on a reward for something wrong or evil that we had done. You know, the Apostle John makes an interesting statement in 1 John chapter 2 that probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense if you just came across it and were reading through your Bible. I'm going to read it to you. 1 John 2, verse 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. See that? Now, now, please note he's writing to believers here. We know that from his statement, little children. That's not referring to age. That, that's more of a term of endearment. Many of these he's, he's writing to had come to know the Lord under his ministry. So he's writing to believers here. So question, why would a Jesus follower, a Christian, shrink back in shame when Jesus comes for them? The only logical explanation would be regret. Regret. Regret at what could have and should have taken place during the course of their life here and now. All the choices and decisions that were made or weren't made. How much more we could have done for the kingdom of God if we had only been less attached to this life and more committed to investing in the next life. And sadly, there will be a lot of little children who will shrink back in shame when Jesus returns. Those who, even though they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, even though they attended faithfully, attended church faithfully, we all have those lost opportunities, times where we could have done more or given more of our lives to the Lord and his service in this life, investing in the next life. Back when I was in fourth grade, I attended a church camp right outside of Topeka. 
all throughout that first day of camp, and I was having a good time just, you know, kind of being who I was, a smart aleck, giving our cabin leader a hard time, cutting up, being ornery. That evening at the worship service in the, the tabernacle, they had all, all the group leaders come up right before the worship time. And all the group, the cabin leaders, they came up front and they were going to start handing out coupon books for the snack shack. Right? Little, little, little punch cards that you could go and get free stuff from the snack shack. And so they started calling the names of people who demonstrated the most Christ-like attitude throughout the day. And I'm sitting there thinking, whoa, you didn't tell me that. If I would have known that, I, would, I can be good, I, I think. Right? You didn't tell us that we were going to be rewarded for being good. Well, guess who straightened up? Now, the thing, listen, they didn't send all those kids who didn't get a coupon book back home. Sorry, you weren't Christ-like, see ya. Pack your bags and go home. No, they still got to be there. They still got to stay at camp. They just didn't get that reward, that coupon book. Now, it's very important to understand that the judgment seat of Christ is not about a judgment for your sins. That this is judgment for those who are followers of Jesus. And about some of you might not even be thinking, now, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. I'm, I'm confused. I thought you said that we're not saved by works. We aren't. We're saved by the grace of Jesus and only by the grace of Jesus. I, I guess the best way to explain it would be with this statement here. We're saved by grace, but we're rewarded for works. You're saved by grace, but you are rewarded in heaven for how you lived in and walked in that grace in this life, which is why what you do now doesn't matter eternally. One day your life's going to be over. And none of us, listen to me, none of us know when that day is. But it's coming. It's coming. Boom. Physical body ceases to exist. Game over. All the stuff you have is left behind, and you're standing before Jesus. Actually, you probably want to be able to stand. You fall to your knees. You kneel down. And then he takes a crown perhaps places it on your brow and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done to those of you who stepped out of your comfort zone and took your next step by being willing to serve back in one of our family kids' classes every week, making an eternal difference in the lives of those little boys and girls. Whether you realize it or not, you're making an eternal difference. And God not only sees that, listen, God not only sees what you're doing, he's going to reward you accordingly. Well done to those of you who are willing to take your next step and join one of our dream teams as greeters on our first impressions team. God sees all those times when you stood out there in the rain, cold weather, sometimes hot weather, smiled and waved, greeted folks that they arrived at church, made them feel welcome, especially those who are coming to church for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time and they're a little apprehensive, scared to even step out of the car but then they saw you waving at them and your smiling face. And that gave them the courage to go ahead and come inside the building. Well done. Well done to those who work our children's check-in, create a comfortable and safe environment for those new families. 
Well done to those of you who make the coffee and serve these people who walk away, who walked away from church years ago, but have decided to give God another chance. Well done to the worship and AVL teams for creating an engaging worship environment for those unchurched or dechurched folks. Well done to our events planning dream team for planning special events like our water baptism service or family fun fest to celebrate what God's doing in family church. Well done. But it's not just what you do here on Sunday morning. It's also how you live out, out there in the world Monday through Saturday. Well done to those of you being the bri- for being the brightest light in your office, at your school, in the warehouse. When everyone else laughed and, and mocked you, you were faithful. No one else saw when you did what was right. You could have done what was easy, but you did what was right. Jesus will say, I noticed, I noticed. Well done. Well done to those of you who trusted God, took your next step in your finances by giving and tithing. You didn't have much at all. In fact, on paper, it made no sense to start giving 10% of your income to God. You crunched the numbers and it just wasn't there. But you took God at his word. You trusted him and started living like temporary residents on this planet, which you are, and investing in the next life. Jesus wants you to know that he's noticed that. Well done. Now listen to your pastor here because I want to say this as lovingly but as forcefully as I can. If you consider family church to be your church home but haven't taken your next step and joined one of our dream teams, you need to do that. You need to do that. Why? Why do we need to do that, Pastor? Well, because we know you're not busy and you have a lot of free time and we just want to give you some busy stuff to do. No, you need to do that because as Kyle said, you will never be more like Jesus. You will never be more Christ-like than when you're serving others. Jesus said, Matthew 20, 28, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for him. Look, we're all busy. You're busy, I'm busy, all our dream team members are busy. The only difference between you and them Listen, the only difference between you and our dream team members is they get it. They understand. They understand that Paul's comment in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that our goal is to please him. They get the fact that they're only visiting this planet and that this isn't their home. And they live their lives accordingly with a mindset of investing in the next life by serving others. Jesus called it laying up treasure in heaven. But you know, don't take my word for it. If you're still unsure or apprehensive about taking your next step in this area, just go and talk to any one of our Dream Team members. They'll tell you how much more rewarding it is, knowing that they're making a difference for eternity. Ask, ask one of our nursery Dream Team members. They'll tell you how, how much they look forward to coming in here and changing poopy diapers every Sunday morning. Well, maybe not. But I'll tell you this. Jesus sees every one of those stinking diapers, pardon the pun. Jesus sees every one of them. And he's going to reward you accordingly. Folks, this, this life is so temporary. One day your heart's going to beat for the last time. And at that point, there's no do-overs, no mulligans. But let's be honest, the pull of this world is so strong and so subtle. That's why even in my world, I have to fight to keep the eternal goal in front, in front of me, front and center. And one of the best ways that you can do that, stay spiritually centered and focused, is by taking your next step and joining one of our dream teams. So, so pray about, no, no, take that back. I take that back. You don't, there's nothing to pray about. You need to just do it. Don't pray about it. 
You just need to do it. Because whatever we do, wherever we are, our goal is to please him. How is it we're made right with God? Let me be crystal clear here. Because anytime you're talking about something like this rewards, you know, people kind of get that, gets a little murky. I don't want the enemy to make this murky. I'm going to clear it up for you. Let me be crystal clear. We're never made right with God by our religious works, by our efforts, or what we do or don't do. That's not how we get saved. It doesn't matter how dark your life is. It doesn't matter how much you've done wrong. When you call on the name of Jesus, he hears your prayers. And in his amazing grace, he forgives your sins. Let me pray for you. Father, we ask over the next few weeks by the power of your word and ministry of your Holy Spirit that you would help us begin to acquire an eternal mindset, understanding that this isn't our home. We're just, we're just visiting here. So help us begin living our lives accordingly. Don't let us become too attached to this world or the, the things of this world and, and help us always remember that what we believe about eternity does impact how we live today. Help us keep focused on that one goal of, of pleasing you. And if you're here this morning or watching online as part of our eCampus church and you're not right with God, you're not in a right relationship with God and you know it, you know it. Maybe you used to be close to God or at least closer to God than you are now. But something happened that damaged or breached that relationship. Maybe something you did, maybe even something the church did. And it hurts you, it hurts you. And your relationship with God's never been the same. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where that relationship can be restored. So if that's you, would you just be willing to pray this simple prayer with me to say, Heavenly Father, I trust you and give my life to you. Save me, Jesus. Forgive me all of my sins. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live for you and follow you. Break the roots that hold me to this world, that tie me to this world. I want my goal to, to, to be to please you in all that I do. So thank you for saving me by grace. And now I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen.